Hey there, I'm Rinda Emick, the founder of the nonprofit Presley's Purpose, where we give NICU parents some time away from the hospital to relax and de-stress by pampering them in the salon. I am also the host of Presley's Purpose podcast, where I will interview NICU families to share their journey and their best tips and tricks for surviving the NICU. Please subscribe if you haven't already, so you are the first to get our latest podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Rinda Emick, the host of this podcast, and I just am so thankful to bring you another NICU mama today to share her journey and story with you. So we hope that you find some inspiration, a tip or something to help you along with your journey. And whether you are in the NICU right now or whether you have been through the NICU journey, I think that there's something that you can appreciate and connect to with this story. So this is one of my friends we met in the NICU. Surprise, surprise. Um, So we actually met while I was in Denver. If you followed my journey, you know that we transferred to Denver about an hour from home and we got to meet a lot of really amazing people. And in that hospital, Denver, there are some more complex babies. So um, there's all different kinds of stories and journeys. And so I want to introduce my friend, Cami Lozier, and she's going to share a little bit about her, um, her, just her personal personally and then her journey and she's kind of you know still has some in and outs of some of this hospital life so I want to not take any more time and just go ahead and introduce you Cammie and share a little bit about your background and who you are with us. Okay so um, I am from a little teeny tiny town in northeast Colorado called Weldona. There's literally about 250 people that live in the town and that's where I grew up, um, born locally and grew up out here and my family. Um, we run and operate um, our fourth, it's a fourth generation dairy farm. And um, we've been here my whole life. We have another um, dairy that we operate as well. It's not as big as the main one, I guess, but um, so it's a family um, operation with starting um, with my great-grandpa and um, all all of my two brothers and my sister and I all work at the dairy and my husband and my um, sister's ex-husband and my sister-in-law all still work here so it's one big family affair. (laughs) Awesome and so tell us a little bit about your journey like you you know tell us about your family how many kids do you have and then how did you kind of get to the NICU share some of the pregnancy with us okay uh so i have um, my husband and i have been together almost 12 years we have a six-year-old daughter who is perfect (laughs) perfectly healthy little girl and then um our second second pregnancy uh, about like 18, 19 weeks, we kind of found that there might be some chromosomal issues. And we found out that there was a 99% chance of Down syndrome. And so that was a lot of back and forth to Denver and um, checkups and everything to make sure he was healthy. And then when he was delivered, he was delivered at our local hospital in Fort Morgan, and they did a great job. That was my big scare was that I'd have to go to Denver to deliver. And then he was born and about a week later, we knew, we found out he had a heart um, condition called a ventricle septal defect. And he got that repaired at four months, but um, we didn't know the severity of it. 
the doctor that we saw originally said it was like a medium-sized hole. It's the, so it's basically a hole in the heart between the walls. And the doctor was like, well, we'll just come back in a month. Well, um, five days later, he stopped breathing on me mm. and turned blue, very, very blue. And we happened to be at the right place at the right time. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> and um, there was, we were at my niece's um, T-ball practice and there were people there that rushed over to me because they saw me trying to get him back. And um, luckily there was a sheriff off duty and he got him back. And then, um, so he was 12 days old. So we flew oh. him to Children's and we knew about the heart condition, but he also had um, pulmonary hypoplasia or like a pulmonary, just a, his lungs were not strong enough. And so we um, are hypertension, not hypoplasia, pulmonary hypertension. And so we had to stay at Children's. They did um, lumbar punctures. I'm sure you know about that. And that's miserable to watch your hold him, my baby, so that they could get his spinal fluid out to test it and just test after test after test. Finally, nothing came up of why he stopped breathing. Mm. We still don't know why, but we think it's he because babies with Down syndrome kind of have a um, everything is so small and narrow and he kind of had a little bit of like phlegm. We think that he just had some phlegm stuck in his throat and couldn't clear it. He just wasn't strong enough to clear. And when, because what happened when that sheriff, um, what got him back was he sweat kind of stuck his finger in his throat and cleared whatever was in there. Wow. And so that was our, our nine day first NICU adventure was that. And um, it was just a lot of, waiting you know we didn't it was probably the easiest NICU stay possible because you just are waiting to see what the results are we didn't have to have constant tests and therapies and um it was just basically as if we were at home um you know diaper changes and feeding the baby you know there wasn't a whole lot that we had to do and then about <laughs> A year and a half or so later, I got pregnant again, and um, kind of the same thing. You know, we thought everything was good, and then I had a my mild hemorrhage at eight weeks, and so we thought it, we were going to have a miscarriage, and it ended up being a hemorrhage, and so then we were watched a little more closely, and then um, we did some testing to make sure he didn't have Down syndrome like his brother. Just it's a common thing that once you have one Down syndrome kid you just test the next always. Well, that came back negative, no Down syndrome, no chromosomal um, abnormalities as far as that test went. And then um, the ultrasound tech was like, you know, I see something, but like I said, we're from a super small town. So they don't see a lot of the things that we had going on. So she was like, I want you to go see a specialist in Denver for the, the um, with a better machine, basically. I, th I think it was a 3D ultrasound. So we went and did that and they thought it was gastroschisis, which is 
the intestines are outside the body cavity, but like free floating. Well, we met with surgeon and just, we didn't, we went to a hospital that the surgeon was at and we just didn't feel right about it. There was just, you know, you have to follow your instinct. You have to follow your gut because it just didn't seem to fit. And then the fact that you couldn't stay the night in this NICU, I didn't like that. Having already had one NICU stay and knowing I could stay at that hospital. So we went back to Children's um, to their um, fetal care, which is amazing. And we sat down and we jumped right in and they were like, it's not gastroschisis, it's an embalacil which is kind of similar, but it, the intestines are in a sack outside the body cavity. And kind of talked about all the different scenarios, things that could happen. And along with this condition, other chromosomal things that can occur as well. And, you know, doing an amnio, um, lots of extra ultrasounds. I mean, I went up there about every two to three weeks. And the hard part about it all is when we found out that he had this emphalocil, I forgot about me. I was going to Denver so much to check on the baby that I didn't get my prenatal care that I needed to just check blood pressure, growth, everything like that. So you have to remember to take care of yourself too, because mm -hmm. it's a lot to remember. <laughs> but so they were like, you know, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm fine. And they're like, but how are your appointments? And I'm like, oh, I haven't had one in a month or, you know, six weeks or whatever. And they're like, okay, you need to go in. I was like, yeah, I probably should. <laughs> and so I went in and I, I started swelling very early with my other kids. About the last three weeks, I always would get some swelling, but it was also a hot summer pregnancy. All my kids were summer kids, or my first two were summer kids. So between the heat and dehydration, I would swell. Well, I was like, you know, early 20 weeks, and um, I was starting to swell in my feet and my legs. And so we did a 24-hour urine sample to test for preeclampsia, came back negative. negative. They were like, just drink more water, stay off your feet. I'm like, I have two kids. That's yeah. almost impossible. And so a few weeks go by and um, we went back up to, for a um, ultrasound, I was about 32 weeks because we had talked about doing an amnio and I wasn't on board, but I knew he had, we had a lot of fluid retention um, and I was measuring about five weeks early or five weeks ahead. And so he was measuring big. I had a lot of fluid. And so we, that can be dangerous too, is to have too much fluid. So if they were going to do a, a, a fluid reduction, they would just use that fluid and test as an amnio. It's kind of the same thing, but they just take extra fluid. Well, I didn't feel very good going up there. And long story short, we did the ultrasound and then they, um, they, sorry, they were like, why don't you just stay here? Let's go to get you checked out. So they took my blood pressure and it was high. 
So we went into a room and they took it again and drew some blood. And if there was such a thing as mild preeclampsia, I would have had it because my numbers were barely above mm. the, the level of preeclampsia. So I ended up having to stay in the hospital um, and we didn't plan on that. So then I had to check my blood pressure, you know, every couple hours and, it, and just kind of be cautious and careful. Well, then um, two weeks later, I woke up, same thing. I didn't feel good. And just because they kind of, when you have preeclampsia, they, they say, you know, if you have liver pain and they kind of tell you where it is and what to look for. Well, I didn't have that. Mine was more up higher and in the center. And so we ended up going back to the doctor um, and they were like, well, you know, let's get you checked in and admitted and monitor your blood pressure for a few hours. So we did that and the doc came in and was like, we're just gonna keep you for the night. I was like, okay. Then the next like 30, 20, 30 minutes later, she's like, okay, I talked to the team and you've had three high blood pressures today, we need to have a C-section. And I still was like, no, that's not, it's too, I was 34 weeks. It was too early, you know? And I had, I did have the, um, the, the steroid shots for his lungs two weeks prior. So I had already had those to help his lungs grow a little bit. But I, you know, I just, I, I wasn't ready. And so the neonatal doctor came in to kind of talk to us to how it would work because he wasn't staying at that hospital. He was gonna go across the street to Children's. And so I knew I had to prepare myself that I was gonna have a baby and not have them with me. You know, they were gonna be taken away almost immediately. And so um, I just, I didn't feel right. You know, I didn't think that it was time yet. We could wait, we could wait. Well, then my water broke. Wow. And so I, to me, that was my sign of it's time. Yeah. You know, to me, God was like, I know you're doubting this, but it's time. Yeah. And so within about 10 minutes, they took us in and I got, you know, prepped for a C-section, which I had never had one before. Mm. So that was scary in itself. And um, he was born and, and everything and delivered and, and, <laughs> They were like, look, here's your baby. And they can drop down a drape and you can see. Well, I was so paralyzed from basically the chest down that I could, I could barely lift my head up. And I didn't get to see him. And so they took him over and my husband went over to like the little section with him. And um, they got him cleaned up and everything and wheeled him by me. And so I got to look at him in a little, on a little, you know, bed. And my husband went with him and I got stitched up. And a little bit later, set to recovery, and um, the transfer team got there to get him to take him in the ambulance over to Children's Hospital. And um, so I got to spend like five minutes with him before they left, and that was hard. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the for me that was one of the hardest times, and. I was thrown into that without knowing, you exactly. know, thinking it was a perfect 
pregnancy. And, and that was a hard mindset battle. That moment where I'm in recovery, my husband's not with me, my baby's not with me. And I have no idea what's going on. Exactly. It's a, it was tough. Like even being one to study mindset and and work on, you know, positive mindset and everything. I was challenged in that moment that I I literally had to do everything possible to just not break down. Yeah. And it's hard. Thank God for FaceTime. Yeah. And, and the internet because, and, you know, um, sending pictures constantly, um, FaceTiming my husband on the way over in the ambulance, FaceTiming him when he got there and got settled in a room. And, um, they, they made him comfortable at the NICU, which was really important to me too, was to make him feel welcome so that he could kind of care for our son while I'm stuck over in the other hospital. And so, um, about 48 hours later, I was released and I got to go see him and he, they had put him on a ventilator to help him breathe because his lungs were just working a little too hard. And then I got there at one, about 1.30, and by four, put him on an oscillating ventilator because wow. he couldn't get the CO2 off of his lungs. And so he was building up CO2 in his body. And he was on that for 11 days, I believe. And then um, his, you know, he's had an emphalocele, so we still had to make sure that was, you know, healing okay and not going to cause any issues when they did the closure closure surgery um but he had a big tongue so his tongue kind of stuck out of his mouth and so he also had a condition called beck with wiedemann syndrome which is it kind of can sometimes go hand in hand with that emphalocele um it's an overgrowth condition too so um we, a lot of people don't know this, that we, every three months we're getting screened for cancer. Wow. Um, he's doing abdominal ultrasounds and blood work and urine tests every three months until he's eight. Wow. Because he has a higher chance of getting cancer. And, and, and sorry. Uh, with, so with this condition that I'm not even going to try to repeat because <laughs> it was, I've never even heard it. So. Um, is that why you think or why doctors think that you were uh, showing five weeks ahead? Yeah. So, Growth? so because he had a big tongue, so babies swallow the amniotic fluid and he, he just wasn't, he wasn't swallowing enough of it to help, um, kind of keep it at bay, um, because his tongue was too big. So he just couldn't swallow mm. the amniotic fluid, which then meant I had extra Mm -hmm. because my body was still making it and he wasn't processing it like he should have been gotcha yeah and he was also um at 34 weeks he was eight pounds are you kidding me Uh uh-huh eight pounds eight pounds six ounces at 34 weeks. at 30 he was the the size of a of a you know term baby and he was six weeks early and that's part of that it, we use short for we say BWS back with Wiedemann syndrome. Um, so for BWS, because it's an overgrowth, they're bigger kids, bigger babies, um, and so it, that's kind of why he was so much bigger. And so now you're you're in the NICU. Um, you get 
you get transferred over and you're here for, do they give you like an expectation, you know, of how long they think you're going to be there? Um, is it just, is it one no. of these conditions where it's just as the baby develops and we kind of yeah. see as we go type of thing? Yeah. So, um, you know, different and what's crazy is, um, this, you know, it just kind of depends because an embalcel can range in size. It's not always the same size. It could be a large, it could be small. His, when he came out because of the fluid retention, his was pretty big. But when the swelling went down and a few days later, his was like, I'm not kidding you. When we took his dressing off and the surgeon came in, it looked like a little KFC biscuit on his tummy, like just sitting there really? because it had gone down so much. Wow. And so he kind of did a, a bedside reduction where he kind of put everything in where it should go. And we put a bandage around it and just kind of left it like that until his lungs got better. Mm. And then at 13 days, he had his closure surgery. And it's kind of crazy because on October 13th of 2015, my son with Down syndrome had his heart surgery. And October 13th of 2017, Lincoln had his closure surgery of his umbilical. So they both share that same surgery date. And yeah. so that that worked out that way and so he so you're in the NICU for how long when he has this closure surgery so we, he was 13 days old when he had that surgery and then he was on a ventilator for a few more days just to make sure his lungs were healthy and good and then we went to the high flow oxygen and um, eventually to wall oxygen so he when he got his um, closure surgery he progressed pretty well um, he just needed a little bit more time to let his lungs get a little stronger. Yeah, I remember being in the NICU with you and thinking about, wow, how fast like yeah. your journey was for the condition that Lincoln was going through. I, I mean, and I don't know it much about this, um, these medical conditions, but I, to me, hearing the severity and kind of what you guys were dealing with, like I thought it was just like this amazing miracle. Yeah. So um when it hit me was one day um I had went down to there's a little cart down in the NICU for like brothers and sisters to color and draw and stuff. And I went and got some crayons for my daughter. And um I was walking back by our old room because they transferred us out of that room. And there's this ginormous machine with a baby that's no bigger than my hand. And I asked one of the RTs, I said, what is that machine? And he says, that's the ECMO machine, which basically does everything for the baby. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's huge. That's insane. And he goes, and that's he, when he told me, he's like, we basically saved these rooms down here that Lincoln was in for our sickest babies. So he was one of their sickest babies at the time. And I had no idea. Wow. So he has his surgery, he's progressing really fast and you're, I mean, you guys are kind of like these, this little miracle, right? Like, it's just amazing. So how long did you stay in the NICU at, with Lincoln? So he was released the day before his due date, which, so he was in there for 40 days. For 40 days. Mm -hmm. And did, what was the expectation leaving the NICU? Is it something where you... I mean, is there a lot of medical care at home? Do you have, to, like you said, you guys are doing, you know, scans every three months. 
but is there any other like expectation that the doctors gave you when you were able to leave the NICU? So he came home on oxygen and he had an NG tube. So that meant um, basically we wanted every feed that he had to be a bottle. But if he didn't finish that bottle, whatever he didn't finish, I had to put through the NG tube through his nose to his stomach because he wasn't strong enough. His tongue, you know, he, with it being bigger, we had to do some kind of speech therapy stuff for that. Um, but what kind of stinks was we were only home for about 10 days or so, not maybe not even 10 days, and he got sick. So um, he'd got like a really bad stomach bug, and we kind of thought it was from the NG tube, but I, we don't really know what happened. He just got a stomach bug and was constantly puking, and so he lost a pound. Well, even though he was a bigger baby, he didn't have a pound to lose. Yeah. So that took us back to the hospital for a couple of days until he got over that and started gaining weight. But then, but he was taking his feeds through the bottle, which was great because then that meant no more NG tube, which I thought we were going to be on that a little longer than we were, but he was doing really good. And so do you guys have any expectations like moving forward with any more surgeries or do you? So... From that um, that little hospital stay, because he was puking so hard, um, he ended up getting a hernia. So we had to have a hernia surgery. Um, he had only been out of the hospital about two and a half months, and he had a, another surgery. Um, but now he should be good. You know, he's he had some fluid in his ears, and he got ear tubes. But there's right now there's no um, there's no known surgeries like planned. Mm -hmm. He does have some cysts on his spleen, um, which they haven't really changed much, much since the NICU, but still that's kind of scary. Um, so, I mean, if he, because of this cancer and the, the overgrowth where it means that he could get tumors or other cysts, and if they become a problem, then he would have to have those removed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, with the overgrowth, is there anything with that condition that you guys see? Like you said, um, I mean, does I'm what I'm kind of catching as you're talking because I'm trying to understand too. It's like it's like a mini uh, medical degree that you <laughs> earn when you step into the the walls of the NICU. Um, so, and you had mentioned like with tumors. So, is that why there's a cancer scare there because of the fact that maybe potentially cells are growing a lot faster? Yep, exactly. Got yeah. So everything with his his first condition that you guys knew about, why you were originally um, going to Denver, um, everything with that condition, with the surgery that he had, that all like went good, and that's totally taken care of. With yeah, awesome. So we we follow up with his surgeon and multidisciplinary clinic um, for pulmonary hypoplasia. Um, we follow up the, with them. Um, it was every three months. Now it's every six months. Um, and he's doing great. They don't really have any concerns anymore. So that's great. The, the biggest thing now are his lungs. They're still not um, strong enough. So like the common cold can put him out, can put him back in the hospital. Um, we have already gone just um, three days ago. We had to go to the hospital for 
a dose of steroids and then back to the emergency room two nights later for another dose. So the winter seasons are hard for us because um, the, just the tiniest sickness can knock him out. Yeah, yeah. So if you were to speak to the NICU mamas that are sitting there right now um, and you, you know, you've gone through the NICU, you did a short stay with the first or the second child. And with the third child, you had a longer stay. You've had a couple surgeries. Um, if you were to speak to that mom that's sitting there right now in the chair next to her baby, what would you say that you wish you would have known or a tip that you could give them? My biggest thing that I advocate for is to ask questions. Don't feel like you can't speak up. That's your baby. That is not their baby. They are there to take care of that baby and do what they can do to get that baby to thrive. But if there's at any point that you don't think what they're doing is right, stop and ask questions or why they're doing it. And if you have to, you know, ask them to leave and ask for different staff members or doctors to come in, do it. Don't ever feel that that they kind of have that control over you because that's still your baby. I love that, Cami, because <laughs> I from I'm just a little bit feisty and I want to know everything. And mm -hmm. you know, Mama Bear comes out. And from early on in our journey, Mama Bear came out. Yeah. And even you have to even though in the NICU, you see a lot of complicated babies, a lot of complicated situations. And some of these doctors are walking through these exact steps for the first time, even with decades of research. But again, I will always say that you birthed that baby. You created that baby. You are going to know intuitively more than anybody else. You may not know the medical terms. You may not know, um, you know, exactly what to try or do, but again, it's you intuitively have some say, you have something to say. And I just want the moms and, and the dads, you know, I just want the parents to really have some strength there and to know that it's okay to question, that it's okay to ask for a second opinion, that it's okay to say, you know what, my gut does not feel that this is right. Or I prayed about this and the answer was not this. And it's okay to speak up and not feel like you're backed in a corner or that you have your hands tied behind your back because there's somebody in the room that has more medical degrees than you do. Um, or your nurses have been there for 30 years. I get that. But unless they are the mom that birthed that baby and that are walking through the shoes of that, that particularly unique baby, they don't know how you feel. They may understand to some degree, but nobody's going to understand how you feel. And so I love that you said that because I am a huge advocate for the parents that they do get to speak their mind. Yes, we're emotional. Yes, we are being thrown into a tornado. Yes, we may not know how to control our emotions and our feelings, but that's okay. And as long as we can kind of, you know, set aside that for a minute and actually, tr and actually try 
to advocate for our baby or what we're feeling, I think that, you know, that nurses and doctors do need to, to hear us and they do need to try to, um, you know, take into consideration what we're intuitively feeling. So I love that you said that because I think that that's one of the biggest things that I stand for. You know, I'm like, you've got to speak up and you have to really, you know, advocate for these babies. So so um, any other tips or advice that you could give uh, for the parents? So how have you and your husband, it, has it made you stronger? Has it made you have to grow and learn dealing with all the medical conditions, the time that you did stay in the NICU? What are things or a tip that you could give for the parents to, to keep their relationship strong when you're being thrown into a pretty stressful situation? You, you have to lean on each other um, and get, but at the same time, you have to be able to give each other the space because it's almost like a grieving process because not only is it stressful, using and overwhelming, but you're not going home at least at that time with the baby. Um, I stayed most nights with my son um, up at both hospital states that we had. Um, there were, with Lincoln, the third baby, a few nights that my husband would stay so I could go spend time with our other kids. Um, but for the most part, I stayed. And so you have to be able to communicate with each other and lean on each other, but still give each other some space to process, you know, it's, it's a lot and everybody, it's hard because everybody worries about the mom and they forget about the dad. Yeah. And you have to be there for both because he is, even though you're trying to be strong for the baby, he's still trying to be strong for you and the baby. And if you have more kids at home, he has, you know, he's trying to, to do everything he can and we are pretty lucky because we have the family dairy that our parents and my brothers and sister were able to cover for us at the dairy a lot, help with our other kids and stuff. But he still came back to work, you know, within five days of Lincoln being born. You know, he was still working and coming to see me and Lincoln and taking care of the other kids at night. So, you know, you have to, um, you know, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay not to talk about it, but don't just shut down. Yeah. You know, if you have to seek help, do it. Um, you know, if you have to find outside somewhere to vent or to get advice, do it. I personally love Facebook groups, and I found quite a few between Down syndrome, Beckwith-Wiedemann, Umphalocele, and NICU moms and exclusively pumping moms because I exclusively pumped Link for Lincoln for about five months. And then he finally was able to breastfeed. But, um, you know, there, you have to find that outlet so that you stay sane yeah. and so does everybody else. Yes, absolutely. So when you're going through challenging times, Cammie, do you have a scripture or a mantra or something that you do that kind of just brings you some peace to deal with these times? You know, there's a lot. Um, for me, you know, I just think that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
And that's always been a big one for my family and me. Um, my family's had a pretty hard life. And so we just, you just have to keep moving forward um, and not dwell on the past, but take what you have and make it better. Make the day better, make, make someone smile. Um, it can be hard at times, but you just have to keep going. Don't give up. So through your two babies that you've had, and in, actually, I mean, you're a mom of three, um, but the two that have brought some more challenging times, what is the greatest gift that you can say that you have been given? All of them, all three of them. They're, you don't know your purpose, I feel like, until you have a kid. And then you're, you're kind of, God shows you your purpose, and it might be different for everyone. I try to um, advocate for everything that I love and believe in, <laughs> whether it's cows or babies. You know, <laughs> I I advocate for all of it, and um, they're but they're all a gift. They all three of them are, and um, you know, and I don't think that my husband and I would be who we are if it wasn't for the steps that we've taken so far. And do you, you think it's strengthened you um, as a mom going through the medical conditions and the NICU and that whole journey, it's made you a stronger mom? I do. I think so. It's, you know, there's been trying times, but I've never let it get me down to the point where, you know, I couldn't take care of them or myself just because they need me and I know that they need me and my husband needs me. And so every day I wake up and I know that I have to take care of these babies and I have to, you know, walk alongside my husband to, you know, give them the best life that we can. Yeah. So is there anything else that you want to, you know, say to our audience, um, are there any great resources that you use? You had mentioned Facebook groups, uh, if there's a great book or anything, or just anything else that you want to leave with the audience. One of my biggest regrets, I guess, is I didn't write stuff down in the NICU. I did some. I tried. But you, you know, you forget. Um, you don't think that you're going to need to. And if you, that's one of my biggest things is, take a notepad or, you know, usually the hospital has notepads and stuff that they can give you and write down. You might not think it's important now, but I would love to know what day did he get off the ventilator? How long exactly was that surgery? You know, there's things that I wish I would have written down when it happened so that I could look back and remember his strengths and kind of how things happened in the NICU because I remember a lot of it. But then there's also that part of you that because it is kind of like a trauma, your brain wants to forget it. Mm -hmm. And and it might forget certain things that you don't want it to forget. And so, you know, write it down. That's my biggest thing is write it down and utilize the hospital. Our hospital had some great resources, but I didn't use many of them. And I and I regret it now. Some of them I didn't know about, but most of them I was like, I don't, I don't need that you know, I'm just going to stay here with the baby, you know, if he's sleeping and relaxing and you can get out of the room for 10 minutes and go, they have a nice, um, 
little resource center where you, there's a bed and a microwave and a fridge and a TV, just get out of the room for a little bit. You know, um, my nurses always wanted me to go walk outside, which I didn't really want to do that because it's hard because you see a lot of babies there. Yeah, they're there for medical treatments maybe, but it's hard because they're holding them, mm -hmm. you know? And so for me, that was hard to want to go for a walk outside when there's all these other babies that are loving their mommies and I can't really hold mine that often, but, um, you know, it's okay to go for a walk. You know, it's okay to utilize the hospital, um, you know, find out if there's our hospital, not that I know of, didn't have any like groups, a meeting groups, but some hospitals have like a weekly NICU mom meeting every, every, you know, certain day of the week they meet. And so, you know, try to find out if, your hospital has anything like that where other moms can get together. Um, my hospital, before he was released, uh, we, they had a little mom's pamper day and we got to paint her nails and do a facial just on ourselves. But it was nice because we got to interact with other moms. And that was the first time that I had really uh, interacted with other moms other than in the elevator or in the hallway or in the, you know, the little area where there's a fridge and water. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember I'm so social and I, you know, I, I don't know if you're like this or not, but I'm like, is there anybody for me to talk to? Like, I just would walk the hallways like, yeah. and, and it's creepy. Like you can't just like peek into someone's room and be like, Hey, you want to be friends? Like we're sitting here for the next few weeks together. You know, like that's not really something that you do, but I would just like, if I ca caught a mom in the hallway, I would just like it's everything for me to just be like, Hey, you want to talk? Like, Hey, kid, yeah. what's your baby's name? Like, what are exactly. you here? You know? And it's like this whole world that you're thrown into. And I found it actually interesting that, that it's almost like, because maybe it's such a stressful situation that so many moms are closed off that so many moms, you know, weren't wanting to talk and weren't wanting to meet other moms. And our first NICU, we had the Ronald McDonald room with snacks and a shower and, you know, TV and nice couches for family and stuff. And, and that's where I would, you know, sneak off to there to have maybe lunch. And I would just talk to anybody that I possibly could. And, but it was interesting that, you know, a lot of moms are closed off and I don't think it's intentional that they don't want a friend there. I think it's just a coping mechanism to kind of shut down. And, um, and every mom that I've talked to that has gone through that journey has always mentioned in some way or the other that to find somebody to talk to or to share, you know, to find a friend or to share outside of the NICU. So I know as much as it feels like you don't want to maybe in that moment, it could very well be something that you turn out once you get past this time in your life, that it could turn out that that's one of the greatest things that, that, uh, happened for you there. So, so, so much can come out of it. So I appreciate your time so much. Thank you for sharing. And, um, we just, you know, are always praying and sending so much love and healing thoughts to the families that we talk to a lot of, 
the families we talk to, they do have babies with medical conditions that they may be dealing with for a lifetime or they may be dealing with for years after they leave the hospital. So, so we're always sending love and prayers to those people. And I just appreciate your time, Cami, so much. Um, you know, I follow you on for friends on Facebook, so I will get to continue to watch your journey. And to all of our NICU family that has spent some time with us today, we appreciate you and we thank you and we send love to you and thoughts of healing for your baby. And we just hope that you are spending some time to take care of yourself and that you found some value today in this story. And thank you for listening. So have a wonderful day. Thank you, Cami. Enjoy the rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this podcast with anyone who you think may enjoy it. Check us out on Facebook or Instagram at Presley's Purpose, as well as our website, presleyspurpose.com. 